0: There was a struggling artist that received a phone call from an art store that had a bunch of his paintings. The owner of the store said, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. And the artist said, man, I really could use some, some good news right now. I've had a rough time lately, so give me the good news. And, and the store owner said that the good news is that, that someone came into the store today and asked about your paintings. And they, they asked me, if this artist, if, if this artist were to, to die, would the value of those paintings increase? I said well, well that's generally how it works so so, absolutely that more than likely after this, this artist dies his paintings will increase he said he bought everything I had of yours in the store and the artist said man that, that is wonderful I really needed something like that but if that's the good news what, what, what's the bad news the store owner said well the bad news is that evidently that was your doctor that came in <laughs> you know that Something that is good news for one person can be bad news for someone else. I, I haven't even talked to Dick today. I've kind of been avoiding him because there was a play that happened yesterday in a football game that was good news for him, and it was, and Rusty's over there laughing too, good news for those that are OU fans and for those like me that are Longhorn fans, it, it, it's bad news. What about the gospel? The word gospel, it means good news. And what is unique about the gospel is that the gospel isn't just simply good news for a certain segment of the world. The gospel isn't just good news whenever there are certain circumstances of life. But the gospel is intended to be good news for everyone. Right, you know the, the the verse John three sixteen that, that that God so loved the whole world. God so loved the world, not just God so loved those that that, that gathered at forty five hundred Wesley. Read of a Lifeway study that a uh, poll that they conducted uh, as we prepare for the election, and they they asked uh, th- these uh, people. Um, who they hope benefits from their prospective candidate that they are going to vote for. 61% of those that participated in this poll identify that those that they hope benefit are themselves, their family, or those across the nation that are most like them. It was less than like 25% that that said that they hope that that those who... Are, are disadvantaged or those who are overlooked that those are the ones that benefit And as i look at that i i realize that that's the filter that that we all kind of run life through it, we are selfish by nature and we want if anything's going to benefit anybody we want it to be about us but the gospel is bigger than that We started this study looking at the the seven letters that Jesus sends to seven cities, seven churches in Asia that we find in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And in each of these letters, Jesus is going to speak directly to some circumstances that that the church is facing. And last week we looked at the letter to the, the church at Ephesus. This church that that is standing for truth, they are standing for what is right. They're refusing to compromise. But Jesus says that they have lost their first love. And he calls for them to return repent and do the things that they were doing before. This morning, we're going to turn our attention to the the letter to Smyrna, the church at Smyrna. Revelation chapter 2. Beginning of verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all, by the second death. So as the message moves around from Ephesus on to Smyrna, Smyrna is is another um, bustling city. It's a port city. It is a city that is extremely wealthy. The primary trade that, that takes place in the city of Smyrna is the, the trade of of spices like myrrh in fact that's where it gets its name smyrna is, It's from myrrh the this spice that was essential for the embalming the, the the burial practices so you think about some of the 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 burials the, the deaths like the death of jesus and as as uh, as the, the women gather their spices on that, that Saturday morning, they go to the tomb, they're, they're carrying with them myrrh, and you have to wonder, did they buy that myrrh from Smyrna? Or you have Lazarus and, and Jesus, uh, uh, as he goes to that grave, that, that he would have been uh, anointed with all of these oils and spices. and This city is flourishing because of that. It's a city that that is very proud. They work hard because it was a city that was destroyed back in the 7th century B.C., and it it remained in ruins for about 400 years. It was rebuilt in the third city. It was a, a city that, that took pride in its ability to, to, to pull itself up by its own bootstraps. That, that they, they were dead and they came alive again. And now they are flourishing. Think of, of the city of Philadelphia, if you will. And we have the, that fictional story of Rocky that, that kind of uh, so so kind of captures the spirit of that city this this group that gets knocked down time and time again but they 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 never count themselves out this is the city of smyrna perhaps that's why jesus reveals himself in the way that he does that that i am the first and the last i am the one who was dead is raised again and jesus says to the church i know you i know your afflictions smart this letter is unique in a couple of ways one is that that uh that there is nothing negative that is said about this this church the only thing that is said is that, that they are, are suffering and that they are enduring, that they are, are being faithful in that. The second thing that is unique it, is that Jesus doesn't actually offer much hope in this. He doesn't say that things are going to get better. He just says, in fact, it's going to get worse. He uses this, this language of 10 days, and we don't know exactly what 10 days means, but, but historically we know that it didn't really last 10 days. We know that it actually lasted a lengthy period of time, that that it got much worse. See, the the, the Christians in Smyrna, they were a group that that were of of poor reputation, and they had limited resources. One of the dangers that I I think we face as we, we look at these letters is is we look at the suffering and the, the language that's used, and we just automatically draw a, a direct line to us and our circumstances. And so often we, we, we feel like we are being persecuted, that we are suffering. But what we are enduring is nothing like what they endured. The, the, the Christians in this city, they, they were in the minority last week talked about the the imperial cult that had began to to grow and smyrna is one of the centers of that they are very loyal to the emperor they are very loyal to rome and in, tied to the imperial cult is is all of the trade unions you have to participate in the the imperial cult you have to participate in the worship in order to be a part of that union So there are Christians that, that it's not that they're they're not able to gather together, they are actually losing their jobs because they refuse to say that Caesar is Lord. They cannot work in any kind of trade. No one will buy things from them because they are Christians. They are are limited financially. And because they're a minority, they, they have a poor reputation. Minorities are often misunderstood. A common assumption in our culture is that that if you are poor in America, it's because you are lazy and sinful. You you have no work ethic and, and you're a drunkard. You just waste all of your money on all of these vices. And while that may be true some of the time, I know an awful lot of people that work a whole lot harder than I do. And they are righteous and, and they're poor. I, I know of people that, that are lazy and they're wicked and they're sinful and, and they're quite wealthy. The world is not quite that simplistic. But these Christians, they are, they're misunderstood. Some of the ways that they are, are misunderstood because of the language that, that they use. It was often thought in the first century that Christians were cannibals because they would talk about, about eating Jesus' body and drinking of his blood and, and, and nobody took the time to engage in conversation with them. They, they just assumed that what they're talking about is, is they are cannibals. They're actually eating. It was assumed that, that they were incestuous. Because they constantly referred to everyone as, as brothers and sisters. It was assumed that, that they engaged in orgies. Because they were always talking about these love feasts. That's what they, they referred to, what, what we talk about as communion or the Lord's table. They, they called that the love feast. And so they would, they would see that, they would hear people talk about them. They they would assume that they're just engaging in these, these orgies where it was assumed that that Christians were arsonists. Because of the story that they would tell that that we read about in Acts chapter 2 of of Peter and the other apostles on that day and the, the fire of the Spirit... And perhaps that's why it was so easily believed when when Emperor Nero, and he starts to kind of go crazy and he burns the the, the city and he he blames it on the Christians, perhaps that's why it was believed that it was the Christians that were behind this is because everyone just assumed that Christians, they love to play with fire. So here you have this group of of believers, this, this group of followers in Jesus, and they have a very poor reputation in the city. They have limited resources, but Jesus looks at them and says, I know your poverty, but I also know you are quite rich. Christians in Smyrna are rich in the the knowledge of, of God's heart. I said previously that that Jesus doesn't offer any hope or very little hope of immediate change to their circumstances. He says that don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. That The the devil, in verse 10, will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. It's going to get worse before it gets better. I read a study uh, about hope that was taken from this experiment that was conducted on rats, and it was a rather cruel experiment. They, they took these rats and they put them in a, a bucket of water that there was no way for them to escape, and they, they started to time how long they would be able to swim before they just gave up. And then after they, they kind of measured out how long it was possible for rats to, to swim before their bodies just physically gave out, then they did something really cruel. They, they, they would then, right before that time lapsed, they would grab these rats and they would bring them out and they would dry them off for just a little bit and then they would put them back in the water. And they would see how long they could swim. And they would wait and they would pull them out again. And what they discovered is, is say, for, for example, that the rats could swim for, for three hours if they pulled them out at, at 2 hours and 59 minutes, they, they dried them off, put them back in, that, that they could go on endlessly in that, that manner. That there was something about the, the hope of being delivered that, that allowed them to, to keep going. And the hope that Jesus provides is not that the suffering is going to change, but, but he presents this picture of who he is. I am. I am the first and the last. I am the one who died and now lives. Jesus hearkens back to language that was introduced to Moses, if you've grown up in church, you, you know the story. Moses sees this bush that is on fire and it's not being consumed. And he, he's kind of curious, so he walks over to it and he discovers that, that God is there. God wants to send him to, to go and deliver the Israelites. And, and Moses says, No, I've done that. I, I've tried that before and it didn't work out. So, so why will these people believe me now? And, and God says, just tell them, I am. little bizarre of a way to introduce yourself, isn't it? I mean, when's the last time you just met somebody and, and they, they said their name and you just said, I am. Just stopped there. Right? You expect that it's going to be followed up by, by something. That, that's just the beginning of the sentence. But, but God, he just says, I am. And then you turn over to the Gospel of John and Jesus consistently uses that language. I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the the door for the sheep. I am am the gate to the the, the pen. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says that that as you enter into suffering, as, as things get harder for you, you need to know the heart of God. Do you remember the words of the psalmist? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. The psalmist acknowledges that that dark valleys will come and, and you're going to have to go through those seasons of life. But if you know the heart of God, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. while I don't know that we can draw just a straight line from the suffering of a a group of Christians in the first century to what we are facing today, I can't deny the reality of what's taking place. That Dick shared with me uh, Thursday, I believe it was, a study conducted by the Barna Group That they initially conducted in 2000 and they repeated in 2019. And in the the, the 19 years between those two studies, the number of practicing Christians, those who who claim to be Christians, and they, they, they say that their faith is important for the way that they live, and that they have attended church once in the last month, at least one time in the last month. That's their definition. Of a practicing Christian. The number of practicing Christians. Has halved in the last 19 years. There's only one quarter of America. that, That fits that definition today. Now, there's a lot more that, that fit into the category of, of a non practicing Christian. They, they still would identify themselves as a Christian, but, but they, don't, they don't go, they, they don't gather together, they're not formed in a community uh, of any sort. And as that progresses, as we have more generations, more people that they grow up outside of the church, they're not going to share the same kind of values and worldview that you have. it won 't be long before declaring a a belief in the sanctity of of marriage is declared hate speech and i don 't say this to 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 scare you but but we can look at, at Europe, we can look at Canada, we can look at other places in the United States that that are further down this road that, that we are now going down and Let's be honest, it's quite possible that that has been sped up by the pandemic. Look around you, and we do not have as many people in this space today as we had last year at this time. And it's not clear whether or not some of those are going to come back. And so the question, The the, the letter to the church of Smyrna forces us to ask is, will we allow rejection to drain our faith tank? We enjoy the experience of being around like-minded people. But what if that changes? It is important that we come to know God before suffering hits in order to understand suffering in light of His love, rather than interpreting His love through the lens of our suffering. It's interesting that one of those men that is in the gathering that would have heard this letter read. A man that is, leg- uh, history, uh, Christian history tells us he was actually discipled by John. He would become an elder in the church of Smyrna. His name was Polycarp. Polycarp, just a couple of decades later, would be tracked down by hunters to, to be delivered over because of his faith. And whenever they found him, he just simply asked that, that he be granted the privilege of praying for an hour before he turned himself in. And so those guards, they stood there, they listened to him pray, not just for one hour, but for two hours. And it's said that some of those actually even became... Christians they were converted because of this man's prayer he was taken down to the 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 town square in Smyrna and he was given the opportunity to recant his faith in Jesus Christ and if he did he would live the polycarp declared that Jesus has never failed him in 65 years And so he cannot decry his faith. And he became the 12th martyr in the city of Smyrna. You may be right to fear for the future. But sometimes, sometimes suffering is a good thing. Sometimes being poor is more. Paul would write in Philippians chapter 3 I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Those are great and powerful words. I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection. The true story of the the rise of the phoenix isn't this Greek mythology, but it is Jesus Christ who is the first and the last, the one who was dead and now is alive. This morning, I invite you to come to Him. Our shepherds will be at the back of the worship center to receive you. I'll be at the front. If you'd like prayers or if you'd like to come into Christ, we invite you to come as we stand to sing together.